And um, guys, we're going to get straight into the message this morning. Uh, this is actually the second week of a new series of teachings that we began last week entitled Summer of Parables. And what we're doing over the next uh, several weeks, the summer, is looking at uh, specific teachings of Jesus, the parables, the stories that he told during his life and his ministry here on earth. And this morning we're going to be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. So if you have a Bible, this would be a great time to grab it, open it, or turn it on. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, and this particular story begins in verse 25. Here we go. It begins by saying, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that is Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But... He, desiring to justify himself, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, and he tells the parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, another religious person, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, money, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. We pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for this, this story, for this parable. And thank you for your promise. You said that when we gather together uh, in your name, when we gather to, to, to turn our attention to you, that you are present with us. And I believe that even now by your spirit, you are with us as we are gathered across the city and even the world. And I pray that you would be our teacher in this moment, that you would help us to, to have hearts and minds that are open and receptive to the things that you want to say to us and the things that you want to do in our hearts and our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as we look at this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, I want to focus on four things. Number one, love. Number two, condemnation. Number three, compassion. And then finally, the mission of God. Love, condemnation, compassion, and the mission of God. 
The story begins, or rather the exchange between this man, a lawyer, and Jesus starts out like so many other exchanges or moments that we read about through the Gospels. Um, we're told that this man was a lawyer, which is, of course is not like what we think of as a lawyer today. In the ancient context, uh, he simply would have been like a, an, an expert in Torah. He would have understood the Mosaic Code very, very well. He would not have been lacking knowledge. And yet, uh, clearly there's something about the teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and all of the activity and the miracles and the rumors surrounding Jesus that compelled this man, this expert in the law, to come and ask Jesus the question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And to be fair, we're told that it was meant to be some kind of test so it would seem as if perhaps he was hoping to catch Jesus in a contradiction or, or somehow trip, trip him up with the question. Um, and yet it's a common question. Jesus gets asked this question a lot throughout uh, his life and his ministry. People understood that there was some kind of life that Jesus had on offer. And the lawyer one, wanted to know, what do I have to do? To inherit eternal life. Jesus, uh, naturally, uh, in so many words, he says, hey, you're an expert of the law. You tell me, what does the law say? How do you read it? And so the lawyer responds and he says, well, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as well, because those two things are obviously connected. And Jesus, he says, you're absolutely right absolutely right. That's, that's what I'm talking about. If you want to experience the life that I'm, 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 I've been talking about and I'm offering the world, um, that's it. You, you've nailed it. It's all about love. But then Jesus says, now go do this and you will live. You will experience this life that you long for. Something about that added imperative that, that little bit about like, great, you understand it. Clearly you've read it, you, you know it. Now go do it. Something about that imperative to go and do what you know seems to have challenged the, the lawyer enough to where he felt compelled to justify himself. He got a little defensive. And it's subtle, but I think it's... It's a human phenomenon. With the imperative, with the command to go and do what he knows, it almost seemed to imply, perhaps, some kind of deficiency. Um, at least that's the way the lawyer seemed to have taken it, because he gets defensive. And he says, well then, who exactly is my neighbor? Let's, let's qualify this. Let's break this down. Um, who is my neighbor? About three years ago, I met a woman uh, just before our, one of our Sunday morning uh, church services over in the Fremont building, Door of Hope's building over there on Fremont, where obviously we, we have been for a while up until a few months ago. And uh, it was our first Easter service together. And just before the service officially began, uh, a woman, uh, she walks in 
and uh, dressed in a beautiful uh, African garb. Um, I've, I've got quite a few African friends back from the UK, uh, quite a few Nigerian friends actually. I think it was traditional Nigerian, the traditional Nigerian dress. Gorgeous, colorful, stunning. And anyway, she walks up to me and she introduces herself. I wish I could remember her name. Uh, I remember the moment vividly, but she introduces her, herself to me and she asks if I'm the pastor. And I said, yes, I'm, I'm the pastor. And she says, Pastor, may I share something with you that uh, God has put on my heart? And of course I say, absolutely. I'm, I would love to hear what God has put on your heart. And so then she proceeds to share with me how some time ago, uh, it wasn't recent, I don't remember exactly, but it was like a couple years ago or something like that. She said that during a time of, of prayer, a prolonged time of prayer, she felt quite strongly that the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, um, that I wanna do a work of, of healing specifically to do with the racial uh, past and even current tensions and the racism and just all the pain um, that's actually centered around this specific geographic area in Portland. Historically, this is where a lot of, lot of injustice has happened in terms of um, uh, race injustices. And she said that God put it on her heart that he wants to do a work of healing in that area of, of human life, but it's gonna begin in the church. And she said, uh, if, if this means anything to you, if you're, if you're willing, uh, I would love to give you a list of, of black pastors in that the, the leading churches in this area in, in Northeast Portland. And, uh, and um, yeah, I, I think that I would just love to leave that with you and you can do with it what you will. So I said, absolutely, that, that sounds wonderful. And honestly, it was one of those moments where she was so gentle. It wasn't, she, it was, there was no hype. There was no, it wasn't this emotional sort of, thing it was just like hey, i wanted to share this with you and and if with your permission i'll just i'll leave it at that and uh and she said here's a list of of pastors black pastors in this area um that i've been building relationships with and if you would like to build relationships with here are their names and there was only names there was no contact details just names and so i took it it was all handwritten and she gave it to me and literally that night, I went online and I started Googling these names. And it wasn't too difficult to, to figure out like who's who and which pastor was, was pastoring which church. And, and I kind of began with the area right around that, the, the building where we had been gathering. Uh, George Mer Merriweather leading a church right around the corner. Um, Dr. Leroy Haynes, another one, Mark Strong, just like churches. Um, some of these guys I had already actually like met at different events, hadn't really gotten to know, but I began um, making calls, sending out emails, and slowly but surely started to like meet up with a handful of these men. And uh, I didn't really have any great agenda. I didn't know exactly what I was even supposed to do other than I, I really resonated with what that woman shared that morning. I felt like, man, God wants to do this work of healing. And um, I already knew about the history of, of Portland, um, Oregon in general, Portland specifically. Um, I think anyone who's ever just read a little bit of the history of, of our city here knows that we have, um, we have a very unique and, and dark past in terms of, of, of racial racism, racial injustice, and uh, different pieces of legislation. And um, it's quite something, but I, I knew that as we moved to Portland, 
um, when I was praying and researching, I, I immediately discovered that like, wow, this is a unique part of Portland's history and obviously an, an area that I'm sure God wants to, to bring healing in, continued work of healing. So I kind of already like knew that and been thinking about that and praying about that. Um, but this just seemed like God was encouraging me. Um, and I think us as a church just to start taking steps primarily towards just building relationships. So that, that was my only agenda. I wanted to just start connecting with these other pastors, black pastors in our neighborhood, and just, just like build friendships, start asking questions. I like hearing people's stories. I like building relationships. And so that's, that's what I did. Met some really cool people. Um, some of them was just a one-time coffee. Um, uh, Pastor Leroy Haynes, we ended up having lunch several times. and. And I got to meet some of his other friends and even participate in some of the, the ministry things that he's, he's doing and just a really cool friendship. Um, but I share all of that to say that as a church, we've been on a journey. Um, I believe a Holy Spirit-led journey of, of building relationships with people and wanting in some way proactively uh, pursue God's heart for healing in this specific area of, of our city, um, this specific past and hurt. And of course, again, I'm talking about the, ra the, the racism, the, the racial injustice that is a part of our, our history in this city. And um, among other things, obviously, that's not the only pain in our city. Um, but this is a journey we've been on for a while. About a year ago, this is all connected to the parable, by the way, kind of. About a year ago, I was walking down the street. Um, again, I, we just had coffee um, down at the Starbucks on Fremont. We were walking back to the church building um, with, with a brother, um, a black man and a brother in the Lord. And we were talking about, uh, essentially, we were working through some conflict. Uh, there was some unmet expectations. And we, we, we had kind of been working through a whole series of conflicts. Um, it had been a relationship that I felt like God sort of brought about. Um, and, and I wanted to, to work on it. I wanted to get to know this man. And, but it was, it was difficult. It seemed like um, every other week there was some sort of misunderstanding, some kind of insecurity that would flare up. And um, anyways, we were walking down the street once again, we're kind of working through this stuff, and essentially it was just a matter of, of just radically unrealistic and unmet expectations. And as we were crossing the street, we, we literally stopped, stopped right in the middle of the street, and this man, this brother, starts yelling at me, saying, you will never ever be able to pastor African Americans in this city. You think you have a heart for, for, for multi, uh, for, for diversity and multi this and multi that. And, and so many words, he proceeded to call me an absolute racist. And eventually just, I, I literally just said, hey, I've, I've, we're stopping this now. You can keep yelling at me in the middle of the street, but I'm, I'm walking away now because the, the, there was, it just completely devolved into just chaos and it was, it was painful. And um, I was literally shaking. My adrenaline was pumping so hard, I was just shaking. And I said, bless you, 
I love you. I hope we can continue this another time, but I'm, I'm, I'm leaving this conversation out. And I walked in this building and I just shook. I felt, I felt indignant. I felt very defensive. I felt overwhelmingly tempted to want to scream out the window all of the things that I had been doing to build bridges, all of the ways that I had been trying so hard to be a learner, to listen, to build relationships, and to be, be obedient to the Spirit of God, to, to participate in the work of, of, of reconciliation, specifically racial reconciliation in our city. And here I am being yelled at by someone being accused of being a racist. And I just wanted to justify myself. I wanted to yell back and say, who are you to condemn me? When I've been working so hard to humbly be a part of what God is doing in this, and et cetera, et cetera, and you get the idea. Now, I'm taking exegetical liberties. I realize that. You might be thinking, hang on, what about the parable? Where is this going? What, what, are, you, what are you doing? And, Look, I, let me just say up front, I understand, I understand. But I wanna highlight something that's taking place in this story that I, I don't think is just like a, just some sort of made up tangent or, or completely unrelated to the story because there's this moment where the man, he feels compelled to justify himself. There's, he, as soon as Jesus says, fine, you understand it, do it. The imperative implies that perhaps he's not doing it or he's not doing it enough or he's not doing it well enough. And so he gets defensive. We will be tempted to get defensive, to justify our motives, and if pressed hard enough, even begin to start resenting the subtle but very real feeling that you are not loving enough. And friends, this speaks directly to something that I have been experiencing and certainly observing in our current cultural moment. The sort of uh, hashtags and political rhetoric and, and things and memes and, and, and images that you we're seeing all around us, honestly, there's something about the tone that leaves one, many of us, I believe, feeling slightly defensive like, I don't appreciate, in fact, I resent the implication that I'm not doing it right, that I'm not doing it enough, that I'm not loving the way that you think I should be loving. And there's something about this, this current cultural moment and all of the anger and the pain and the, the protest that's happening in the wake of the murder of George Floyd that I'm, I'm seeing is, is causing this division. There's this aggression, there's this animosity, there's this defensiveness, there's this aggression, and this defensiveness that's happening in the wake of real pain. And I think it's causing the conversation, or what otherwise could have been a conversation, to devolve into something that feels more like political rhetoric which 
always has a condemning tone about it because it's the nature of political rhetoric. Someone always has to be condemned. Someone is at fault. And now some of you might be thinking, hang on a second. So are you, are you going to condemn racism or are you going to talk about how you feel condemned because of certain hashtags that you don't appreciate? Bear with me. Just bear with me, please. What I want to see is a conversation and a process of healing and restoration take place within the church, certainly beyond the church, that sounds different, that's unlike the other conversations and yes, the political rhetoric that's being slung back and forth in the world, as we say. Because I think this is such an important conversation and this is such a critical moment that we can't simply not talk about it, but we mustn't talk about it in a way that people just end up feeling condemned and defensive and wanting to justify themselves. Because as soon as we end up pushing each other into those corners, we're no longer having a conversation. We're just hurtling political hashtags at each other. We're just getting defensive and relationships don't ever last that way. We need to go about it different. My concern with political rhetoric is that someone always ends up getting condemned. Racism absolutely must be condemned. Racism is evil. And racist people need to be confronted with their evil hearts. But in terms of brothers and sisters trying to navigate through the, the tension and the difficulties and the complexities and even misunderstandings and the temptation to, to justify and all of these dynamics of a very, very difficult conversation, would be, we need to be able to have the conversation in a different way. And so that is my concern with, with political rhetoric, as it were. Someone always ends up feeling like they're not doing it right. They're not loving well enough. And eventually, uh, given enough condemning tone, you end up almost being overwhelmed with the temptation to, to get defensive and to justify. And eventually, either you'll lash out, you'll react, or you'll just simply say, no more. We're not going to have this conversation anymore. I don't want to talk about it anymore. It's, it's, I just feel like I'm being forced to join some sort of um, hashtag movement and I, I'm not interested. There has to be a better way. So that's my concern with political rhetoric. That's my concern with the way I see so much of the debate and the conversation devolving into something that's just, just people yelling at each other and getting defensive. There has to be a better way, but I have a greater concern. I have a much greater concern. I've talked about love. I've talked about condemnation. Now I want to talk about compassion. Three days ago, that was three years ago that I met that woman on that Easter Sunday morning. Three days ago, I had a conversation with a, with a good friend of mine, a man that I've known for uh, 17, 18 years. Um, in fact, we lived together for six months while we were attending seminary courses in Southern California. Um, yeah, about 17 years ago. And 
I called him three days ago. Uh, he's a black brother in the Lord. And I just simply said, I, I felt so, and I told him this as well, I felt so awkward uh, texting him, asking him if we could talk because it just felt like sheer tokenism. Like, hey, you're my black friend. Can we like talk about recent events? And, and he was so gracious and he laughed and he said, look, I'll be your black friend. I, I don't care. Like, as long as you're willing to talk, let's talk. Cause I, I think that's, that's gotta be a way forward. So I said, look, I'm just, I just, I feel like I'm flailing in the middle of this, this ocean of, of, of emotion and, and, and all of these things going on. We all know what, what I'm talking about. And I said, I just need perspective. I need perspective and, and I, I love you. I trust you. Uh, we've, we, we, we've talked a lot about Jesus, about scriptures, about theology, and I have the utmost respect for his, his stance, his, 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 his commitment to scripture um, above all else. And um, so I said, man, can, can we just talk? So we talked for about two hours. And I shared some of these things with him. I shared uh, with him how I find myself having these conversations where part of me is beginning to resent this sort of condemning tone that I, I feel like if, if I don't sort of join some kind of what feels to me like a very political movement, then somehow like I am the problem. Like I am the cause of violence. I am the one that's perpetuating racism. And honestly, like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't want any of that to be true. I don't want to perpetuate anything. I, I don't even want to be silent, but I, I'm struggling. I need perspective. And, and I think I just need to like hear your story. I, I, wanna, I wanna listen to what's going on in your heart because I actually care about you. I care about your family and your children and, and your ministry and what's been going on with you. And he, like I said, we talked for a couple of hours and it was so helpful. And I just kept asking him question after question because I wanted to, to try to understand what's happening in the heart of my brother. He's a black man. I know how I felt when I watched the murder of George Floyd on YouTube. Um, it made me want to, uh, I literally thought I was going to vomit. I felt so angry. I felt so just upset. And I said, devil, what's going on in your heart? What's, what's happening with you? And he said, Simon, first of all, I want to, and he said many things, but he said, I, I, want, I want you to know that I don't want you to feel bad. And he said, I don't want you to feel bad for not feeling bad or not feeling bad enough. He said, I have no interest in you feeling condemned or you feeling ashamed or you or your children feeling like they have to somehow take the blame for something that they never did and all of these sort of emotional things that, that, that I had been feeling and wrestling with. And he says, I don't want you to feel bad. I don't want you to feel bad for not feeling bad. I just want you to understand how I feel because I'm hurting and because I'm scared for my kids and because I haven't experienced this as a black man that I, that I, I suspect that I know from my experience that a lot of people, you included my friend, don't understand. It blesses me to know in that you want to understand. And that's all I want. I don't want anyone to feel bad. And I don't want you to feel bad for not feeling bad. I want you to simply understand how I'm hurting now. I want you to hear my story and I want you to care. And, and that's what I want. That's what I want for myself. That's my greater concern. 
I am concerned about how, how easily uh, the church historically has been co-opted by religious, or excuse me, political agendas and movements, and how the gospel can so quickly be reduced to just a series of, 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 of condemning hashtags and these kind of things without any nuance, without any actual listening or conversation or hearing stories. And, and I'm concerned about all of that. And I think there has to be a better way for us to, to work through these very, very difficult, complex hurts and pains. And yes, I think lives matter more than feelings, but feelings are also important as well. And we need to to work through all of that. But what I am concerned about far more than any of that is the state of my own heart. And this is where I found myself actually coming to a, a point of repentance this week. I realized that I was actually more concerned about the condemning tone that I was hearing and all of the debate and the fighting and the animosity, I was more concerned about that than I was actually concerned about my brother. In this moment, in this moment, and there will be other moments and there will be other pains and there will be other things to work through because this is not the only part of our history as a city or a nation, but this is the moment now. And that was the conversation then. In that moment, I felt like the Spirit of the Lord telling me, I need you to focus a little bit more on compassion. I need you to move beyond the temptation to feel resentful for being condemned or what you are perceiving as condemning sort of language. I need you to move past that so that you can cross the road and begin binding the wounds of someone who has been stripped, beaten, and left for dead. A whole generation that has been systematically stripped of their dignity, of their humanity, beaten again and again and again and again because of the color of their skin and left for dead. And I need you to cross the road now and I need you to move beyond all of the political rhetoric. I need you to move beyond the temptation to feel resentful, resentful for being called a racist right in front of the church that you were trying to pursue racial healing in. And I need you to move past all of that because right now you need to feel my heart of compassion for your brother who's hurting right in front of you. He's right across the road. I need you to feel compassion. And let me just say it again, if I, if I haven't said it well enough or if I can simply emphasize it all the more. I have no interest in politics. If you know me, I hope you know that. I'm quite confident in saying that like, if you've ever had a conversation with me about it, um, if, if anything, I'm, I'm anti-politics. I'm a pastor. I'm not a politician. There's a place for politics. There's a place for protests. There's a place for legislation and all that. I, I think that's actually quite important and essential. Um, we've got to work through those things. But ultimately, I am utterly convinced that the solution doesn't lie in politics. The solution definitely doesn't lie in hashtags. The solution, solution does not lie in social media campaigns. The solution absolutely does not lie in, in, in coming up with uh, these 
these slogans that end up just dividing people because of color lines. I believe that the solution lies in the gospel and that when Jesus is present, captives are set free, hearts are healed, that wounded are taken care of. And that applies to all of us. That's for anyone who has ever been hurt. That's, that's on a human scale. And I also believe that right now God is doing something really, really unique, really special, really exciting. That there's a moment in history. I'll confess there was a moment maybe uh, two weeks ago where I saw the media take off and I saw what the media does and I saw the hype just escalate. And for a minute I thought, is this just another one of those sort of media hype moments where everyone's going to gonna you know the, the hashtags will go crazy and then what in a month we'll just kind of you know be on to the next big thing the next big tragedy the next big act of violence whatever gets caught on camera next and i know that sounds terrible but there's there's something about just that growing up in america and being subjected to this like non-stop news cycle of sensationalism and and and, and hype and kind of leaves one feeling a little bit cynical and I thought that for a minute. I do not think that now. In fact, I'm more convinced than ever that the church has an opportunity, a historic opportunity to be a part of something that we, we, we dream about being a part of. God is on the move. God is on the move. If, if you are a racist, you need to repent. If you have racism in your heart or you actually are acting in a way that is complicit if you're allowing, if you're simply walking by, refusing to cross the road because you didn't do it, it's not your responsibility, it's not your problem, okay, if that's your heart, then please, I'm begging you, cry out for mercy. I, I hope that if, if, if you are, and there are a lot of racists in our, in our world, that that's just needs to be said as plainly as can be. There are plenty of racist people, and my, my hope for you is that your heart would be so overwhelmed with sorrow that you would fall on your knees in repentance and ask God to show you mercy. And He will. Oh, He will. He has mercy for you because His grace is more than enough because Jesus died for your evil heart as well, just as He did mine. And for... For the rest of us, not to make it as, quite as binary as that, the church, my friends, my, my appeal, my hope for us is that we would be on the mission of God, that we would go, that we would recognize that there are hurting people right next door to us. You want to talk about loving your neighbor. Our neighbor is Pastor Roy Clay. <laughs> And you know, the very first time I ever prayed with Pastor Roy, just before we purchased the building that I'm standing in now, uh, the old Philadelphia Missionary Baptist Church is what it was called. First time I prayed with Pastor Roy, I was driving by here late at night before we'd purchased the building. And uh, just cause you know, I, I like to drive by and pray for it. And I saw the lights on and I pulled over and Pastor Roy comes walking out and he's tears streaming down his eyes. My brother was in pain. And I won't go into the details of it, but 
Our neighbor is our responsibility. We need to love him well right now. And there, there's a whole community of people. And again, it's so difficult because I don't, I don't believe in just like loving certain people more because of the, because of the color of their skin. I think that's to, to, to lose the plot. It's to miss the point. But we have to talk about race in the same way that we can't talk about greed without talking about money. We know that the real issue isn't money, and we know that the real issue isn't skin color. The real issue is something much, much darker and evil than that and that exists in the heart of man. And so we have to talk about these things because if we're going to grow in the love of God, if we're going to be His healers on mission, if we're going to be those who would cross the street ready to bind the wounds of the broken, then we have to see what God is doing in this moment in history. We, we need to be aware of what's happening in the, in the life of our neighbor, the man right next door. We need to engage in this moment and not get caught up in the political rhetoric and not allow anyone to point the finger of condemnation at us saying, that, well, you're white, you're not doing it well enough, it doesn't help. It's not where we want to take the conversation. We want to move beyond that and grab our healing tools, grab our healing hands, and go on mission with God and recognize that this is a historic opportunity for us as a church. And we're not gonna have the political conversation. We're not gonna go there. We're not gonna, we're not gonna be co-opted by the hashtag-ism of this age. We're gonna be the people of God on mission to see hurt and broken people experience Jesus experience new life, the life that he died for, the life that he offers the world, that we would see racism in beginning with the church. And I still dream of being a church full of color, full of black people and white people and brown people and, and this color and that color. Not because it's all about like, oh, let's just, so we'll have you know a cool picture to put on our homepage of gracecityportland.org. have zero interest in that. It's petty tokenism. I believe that God wants to see the entire world, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group, every color, every brother, every person on this planet brought into the family of God. And there's just something so utterly compelling and exciting to me about being the kind of church that is actually like a snapshot of heaven. And that means we reach our neighbors. That means we begin to build bridges and we become learners and we hear stories. And we tap into the Spirit of God and we go as He sends us on this incredible mission that He has set us up for. It's exciting times. And speaking of time, I think I'm way over time. So let me end there. Let me pray for us and then we'll call it a morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for the way that you um, are always helping us in a way that's it's so unlike um, anything else we could come up with on our own. Uh, your ways are higher than our ways. And you are truly the compassionate one. I thank you for the compassion that you showed each and every one of us. And I pray, Lord, that as we sort of find our way through a world of of, of division and hostility and, and all of these sort of ways that we tend to want to point the finger at each other. Lord, I pray that you would help us move beyond all of that and be your people of compassion. 
that we would reflect more of who you are and have hearts that are just so full of your love. Lord, and that we would be about your mission. Lord, that we would have oil and wine ready, ready to rush across the street and be like that Samaritan that truly had no business uh, tending to the wounds of this, of this person. Lord, help us. Help us to be your hands and feet, the people that are about your business, that are on your great mission of seeing healing come to a broken world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, once again, um, I said it last week, I so appreciate um, your patience, your grace. Um, I understand that I'm sharing things that are so deeply personal and I'm, I'm trying so hard to, to, keep, to keep us rooted in Scripture and yet at the same time wanted, wanting to speak plainly about, about what, what our world's going through right now, what, what's very relevant to, to, to our neighborhood, this very place where I'm standing. And um, I understand as well that like the, these, these are things that need to, to have, um, we need to continue these conversations. You've heard my monologue, my sermon, but my encouragement is um, to find someone to keep talking with and, and be a learner. Be, be a listener. And if you feel like there's something that just keeps kind of like uh, causing you to feel shame or causing you to feel condemned, um, please, I encourage you, don't just stop the conversation. <laughs> Maybe you have to walk away for a moment. If someone's yelling at you, walk away. But come back. Come back and continue to do, do the work of, of, um, of reconciliation because that's, that's what we're called to. That's what we do, and that's what we do as a family. That's what we do um, as we go on mission together. So anyways, my encouragement, please continue the hard work. Um, continue this conversation. And if you have any questions for me um, or any comments, you can, you can call me, email me, and I will do my best to, to, to listen to you and meet you right where you're at. Love you guys. Hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.